Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Here on Redbox Media, I'm your host, Pete Sox, a Catholic book blogger. And today we have with us Rhonda Grunewald. She's a passionate convert to Catholicism since 1999. She's a former high school English teacher and the founder of Vocation Ministry. Vocation Ministry has worked with more than 6,000 vocation promoters and ministries nationwide, presenting informational workshops to deacons, priests, religious, and laity on how to establish or revive a vocation ministry. Following up on the success and demand of her first book, Hundredfold, A Guide to Parish Vocation Ministry, and with the heart of a teacher, Rhonda hopes her latest book, which we'll be discussing today, The Harvest, A Guide to Vocation Ministry and Education, will increase vocations for years to come. Welcome back to the show, Rhonda. Thanks so much for having me, Pete. So I guess um, this is your second time here. We, we discussed the first book um, in a previous episode, but to get started, for those unfamiliar with your work, can you tell us a bit about your postulate vocation ministry? Sure. Well, this was never my plan. I never to do, never thought I would do any of it. So if, um, you know, I, I just keep saying yes. This is how I look at it. So <laughs> if anybody's out there, you know, wondering what they can do, just ask the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will put it in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, as you said, Convert 1999, and then in 2011, our priest asked, you know, how can, uh, if we could promote vocations in our parish, she said, it's one of the most important things we should be doing. Um, and I said, well, I'll help you then, but didn't find any resources to do so. Um, and then I ended up writing Hundredfold, as you said, and then um, then started giving workshops and teaching and equipping parishioners, priests, um, and now educators on how to create a culture of vocations in their environment. So then when COVID hit, um, I wasn't able to travel and give workshops. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started interviewing teachers because throughout the years I'd been asked, do you have anything for schools? Do you have anything for catechists? Do you have anything for homeschool families? And my answer wasn't, you know, wasn't in the positive. You know, I, I said you could just use hundredfold and adapt the ideas and activities, but um, I didn't have anything specific for, for mm-hmm. educators. And so I started interviewing all of those groups over the summer of 2020. 
Because my prayer was, even though I couldn't travel, I knew that God is still calling. He's still calling men and women to say yes to the priesthood, yes to being a sister or none, yes to marriage. And what was I going to do during this time to help him? Like, I just knew that I didn't want it to be a waste. Mm -hmm. So after the interviews, that's when I started doing something that I don't recommend that your audience do. I started wrestling with the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> Just an FYI, you're not going to win that one. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not going to happen. So I finally surrendered and gave in. See, the, the wrestling was all about the fact that I didn't want to write another book. <laughs> because <laughs> I know how hard it is. It is very challenging and so time-consuming. For months on end, every day, many hours, um, it's, it's all-consuming. And... Finally, I gave in and said yes and started writing in October of 2020, and then it just launched this um, month and came out, The Harvest, and and the, the whole, the hope is that through its activities and the resources at vocationministry.com to help teachers and educators is to normalize discernment. People may not know what discernment means. Really, that just means prayerfully thinking about anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we hear discernment with vocation because, of course, you know, priesthood, religious life, and marriage should be prayerfully thought about <laughs> and watched before jumping into them. And so we want to normalize that a kindergartner who says, you know, Mrs. Jones, I think I may want to be a sister one day. Um, that there's my little kid voice. Mm-hmm. Um, that that one day that through inspiration and education and activity, that 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 little girl when she gets into high school is ready to enter a discernment group for her vocation. Mm-hmm. Like if she feels still feels called at that point. It's been nurtured. It's been fostered. The problem is that. We've got 75% of the newly ordained say they first heard the call between birth and 18 years of age. Okay, that's when they're in Catholic schools or catechism classes um, and are serving at the altar. You know, that's when that's all happening, and we need to foster it. The, the biggest issue is that we have so many lost vocations walking around because they first heard the call when they were 7, 8, 9. They never heard anything about it never heard anybody else talking about vocation mm-hmm. or the priesthood in that way. Um, and so they just didn't do anything about it. They didn't, they, they never realized that vocation, if you will. And they, they might've ended up getting married. They might've stayed single, but they didn't um, actually pursue that voca- vocation because it, there was no one else. They feel alone. They don't, they didn't, nobody else was talking about it. So we want it to be a normal process, mm-hmm. especially those going through our catechism classes and our Catholic schools and our campus ministry programs. I mean, shouldn't they all be incubators for our future saints? And how we're going to get to sainthood is through our vocation. I mean, it's so very primary and foundational to what Catholic education should be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, that's what we're hoping that this goes. Right. We want that to be normalized. We've chatted about this with your previous book, and I vividly recall our conversation uh, kind of piggybacking off what you said there about how that book, the original one, um, Hundredfold, could be applied 
to any situation. So now you've come out with a specific book about the ministry and education. What what makes that so different and, and why a book so hyper-focused on that niche, so to speak? Well, we know that in Catholic education is a big determining factor on our newly ordained, like, so about 23% of millennial generation Catholics, they went to Catholic school in general. Okay. Well, 50% of our priests went to Catholic school. It means something. Like, the more more kids from Catholic schools are going to be discerning. It's 41% of sisters have attended Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is really edu- any education, whether it's homeschool, you know, catechism classes, but, you know, I feel like all, all of those people are overworked and trying to take something from hundredfold and mold it to their situation versus just taking a turnkey program mm-hmm. that is exactly made for them. This is much easier. And that's what I wanted. I, want their, I wanted to take away the obstacles of educators to promoting vocations because, and I surely don't want them to feel like this is just an extra thing they have to do. This is, I want them to feel like vocations, which I desperately feel um, increases Catholic identity in a Catholic school. Like if you focus on vocations well, your Catholic identity in that school or catechism program or campus ministry will be higher. Mm-hmm. There is a correlation between what is done foundationally at a school, for example, adoration, having offering time of dedicated prayer to the students outside of Mass. Um, It could be 15 minutes after school Mass. Um, It could be um, during First Fridays that the, the... parish that's attached to the school is going to offer adoration during the day, and the kids can come in throughout the day with their mm-hmm. classes. Um, whatever may be the case, 80% of the New York Bane say they adored regularly before entering seminary. We need to make that normal, that that exercise, and it's vital exercise, I, I mean, so vital to us to pray um, and learn how to pray and have a conversation with God early on. So that means that, you know, having the pre-K class coming in, even if it's for five minutes, and just having a conversation with God. And then it increases and gets more and more and, and more throughout the years of, of this education process. So it, it's foundational to whatever we need to, that what needs to be done is bringing about that culture where it's um, the teachers are focused on fertilizing the soil. Because mm-hmm. right now, I have to say, in a lot of our catechism classes and Catholic schools, our soil is fairly rocky. Mm-hmm. It's fairly rocky. So we need to fertilize that soil and get it ready so that when the Holy Spirit is planting those seeds, it's more easily a plant can bloom it can blossom and grow right um because right now that's not what that's not happening right so when is an ideal age to start this and and in light of the book and maybe giving us uh, some insight into the process is this something that we 
um, I don't know if push is the right word, but nudge, or do we wait for the child to say, like you said, Mrs. Joan, you know, blah, blah, blah. So uh, first of all, there's, uh, there are age appropriate ways to talk about all of this. For example, if, um, if we are talking about the saints, okay, cause really we all have a call to holiness, right? That's a universal call to holiness. Everybody has it. Right. And if really everybody were on our knees on a regular basis, you know, I, uh, uh, in seeking holiness through all kinds of the, all the opportunities that the church offers to seek holiness, our seminaries would be full, our religious houses would be full, vocation ministry wouldn't be needed, <laughs> we wouldn't be needing these books, <laughs> none of that would be happening, right? If we truly had that culture, but that is not what's going on. So the, if we wanted to introduce the saints, which I hope that all schools, all catechism classes, are talking about the saints, those who have gone before us, who have said yes to this universal call to holiness, whether or not they are lay people, or sisters, or priests, um, they they need to be in front of our kids on a regular basis. And and so, this could be, um, for a kindergartner, pre-K, it could be reading a very simple story about the life of the saint, right? This is, they're, they're not reading yet. Um, they're, and there's actually, I don't know if you know this, Pete, but this is so cool. At our website, you'll find under reading materials for educators, is um, there's a group of um, a congregation of sisters, the the St. Francis um, Sisters of of Perpetual Adoration. Mm -hmm. They have a storybook corner where they read all kinds of books to kids, Hmm. and they're videotaped, and they're so cute, and they're all in habit, and, and I mean, it's just a beautiful witness. So if you can't, if you don't have sisters nearby, you know, you can bring them in via technology and through video. Um, so, so you can bring sisters in, bringing reading about the lives of the saints to kids. You could have um, in fourth grade there'd be a saint wax museum day where all the kids are researching a saint, dressing up as them, and all the parents come and get to hear um, about different saints. Uh, they, this could be then later on, because I'm, I'm just walking through, like, that's fourth grade, okay? Mm-hmm. So maybe seventh, eighth grade, there's an actual project, which is, has a PowerPoint to it, and, you know, some kind of presentation where they're really getting to know the saints. Um, and we're hoping that each year that a, the students would, would pick a saint. Mm-hmm. Pick a saint to be their saint for the year, and then all these things, these activities, could point back to that saint. They could pick a different saint each year or keep the same one, but, you know, it's, it's just inviting them in. And then, of course, in high school, there's so much that can be done. There's uh, incredible books about the saints, um, and there could be whole, you know, six weeks spent, spent on, on reading a book and writing essays and all of that and really delving into what the saints can teach us. So, so that's just one example of making it age-appropriate across the spectrum. Right. And I want to go a little deeper on something you mentioned there, because one thing that jumped out at me was the front cover. You have a nun uh, with some students there sitting at a table, you know, having a obviously a good discussion. The nun smiling, so is the child. But um, that scenario is is more and more rare these days. And you pointed it out yourself. So how, 
you know, you gave one example there of the videos on the site. How do we as laity um, bring that back in? Because, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, there was nuns in the school. They were there. They were present. Children saw them. They, they understood that that was a, a vocation. But now it's it's a rare sighting, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it's true that they we now have the you know, a vast majority of our educators are lay people and some of them may not even be Catholic. Mm -hmm. So, so how are they going to know what to do and how do we, how do we get this interaction? So uh, the, the encounter, okay, there's two encounters that were, that, that are the key focus here is the encounter with Jesus in the blessed sacrament. That is a huge encounter for vocation mm -hmm. and the encounter with those who said yes. I'm talking about married couples too. Um, because right. again, if we want, if we want holy priests and sisters, guess what? We need to be focusing on our family and marriages. Mm -hmm. So, because without that, we don't have the other <laughs> right. uh, and we, we need holy marriages. So, um, all three are important to put witnesses in front of students because if you do not have, there are plenty of dioceses, unfortunately, in the United States who don't have any sisters whatsoever. And that that's a real issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some dioceses that are flush with sisters that, you know, they really do see way more, more sisters in their classrooms. Um, but for the vast majority, that's not the case. So we can do that through videos. There are plenty of videos that have been made about answering that call. There are plenty of testimonies, vocation testimonies on video. A lot of them are at vocationministry.com. You can find them. Um, and then we have now, what have we learned through the pandemic? We have learned how to use Zoom mm -hmm. and all these this technology. And there are groups of sisters. There are sisters who, out, who would Zoom into a classroom and have a Q&A and talk about any real, any topic. I find that some of the best vocation talks aren't even actually about vocations. It's about putting a joyful witness in front of a group of kids. Mm -hmm. And as long, whatever they're talking about is going to be attractive. Like meaning they could be talking about the Eucharist. They could be talking about the, any of the sacraments. They could be talking about the saints or what have you, but what's going to draw a young person to say yes, or to even contemplate that, is just the interaction between the sister, priest, seminarian, whomever it is, with the kids, and that they see an authentic joy. It can't be fake. It can't be, um, it can't just be put on. The kids know. We know, mm -hmm. right? We know when somebody's doing that. Right. So, um, that, yeah, the interaction is key. So we've got, we've got to figure it out. We've got to start talking about it more so that kids even want to know more. And so once that's the progression, you've got to start introducing the idea of what is a vocation. And we're talking about vocations that involve either sacrament or vows. That's the kind of vocation we're talking about. So that's why marriage is in there mm -hmm. um, and priesthood, religious life. So um, I feel like we are, we're at the point where we, now we do thankfully have some sisters out there, some orders that are really growing. And they are, many of them are teaching orders, such as the National Dominicans have 13 new postulants this year, even, and that means that all happened during COVID. Mm -hmm. 
that so that's a pretty big number. I think that's the biggest number I've found so far. Uh, the Dominican sisters of Mary, Mother Eucharist, have nine. Um, the Carmelite sisters of the um, Most Sacred Heart of Los Angeles also are growing in their teaching community. So I find that, you know, the, the authentic, joyful sisters, those communities are growing, and you'll see them more and more around the country, and praise God for that. Thank God they're answering that call. You know, shocked is the, the difference that one sister can make in a classroom mm-hmm. like one classroom not not like you don't have to have a sister in every classroom having a sister walk the halls just one in a school is is shocking and amazing to mm-hmm. most who, who haven't been around them mm-hmm. so what are some of the unique challenges with different age groups are there certain ones that are more difficult you find to work with or are they all pretty open and similar and they're receptivity of the message that is a really good question no they're not all the same that's for sure um and what studies have found is 11 year olds and 11th graders so 11 and 11 those are the ones most most open to their call or vocation or what are they being called to what's god asking of them and it's probably becomes you know 11 year olds they're getting on the cusp of you know thinking on high school and what what does that look like and they have more of a sense of of um service about them and mm-hmm. they're you know they're growing into themselves and then the 11th graders of course are talking about you know they're like everybody's asking them. i mean i just i have a 19 year old who i just dropped off to college on saturday so um the 11th the 11th graders they're every day being asked so what are you going to do where do you where are you going to go for college? Where, I mean, it's like never ending talking about their future. So that is a pretty normal time for kids to be discerning as well. Is um, so those are um, when they're most open, and that's when we, uh, there are a lot of uh, diocesan programs like eleven and eleven. There are that they bring in every eleven year eleven year old or that grade level into a diocesan event to talk about vocations because of how receptive they are at that age. Um, so uh, the cha- I think the more challenging uh, times is trying to figure out how to engage the little ones. You know, the, is, you know you're really, I mean, and of course, maybe that's because I taught high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so teaching the little ones to me seems like, wow, how would you do that? But, you know, if you are... I, Teachers are some of the most creative people on the planet, artists and teachers. I, I, having taught high school and having to come, be um, at a moment's notice teaching something I was not expecting to teach because your world gets turned upside down because the speaker doesn't show up or the, the video doesn't work or the whatever doesn't happen and, and you have to completely change everything. I feel like since teachers are so creative that if you normally work with little ones, and I say, you really should focus on the saints. They're going to figure that out. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. going to they're going to figure out how to introduce that more than than others. But but um, that's why I feel like if I just put out the gentle ideas to to everyone, they're go- like for example, one of the activities is playing games. And most of the games I have, like actually in the, in the book or at the website, are. Um, age appropriate for maybe like fifth through high school, mm-hmm. you know. So 
but I have no doubt that, you know, third grade teacher could figure out how to implement a game uh, that would, you know, talk about saints and holiness and, and all of that. So I just think that we need to trust the teachers and to be creative and just start sparking that they need to be doing this. That's the biggest thing. Cause I think most, most just don't even realize, you know, they're going in and they go, gosh, I've got to get this math concept across to them today. I have to, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're so focused on the academics. And that's why I was saying that the, the fundamental issue is, has got to be really who's God calling you to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we can't answer that question as our Catholic institutions, then that's, that's a real failure on our part. I mean, I don't care if a kid can do calculus by the time they get out of high school, but if they can't answer the fundamental question of God, who God wants them to be, then there's a real issue there. Yeah. Or they're not at least seeking that, seeking it. I mean, okay, maybe they don't know the answer to that question, or are they even asking that question? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So. As we kind of wind down here today, I wanted to give you an opportunity Three quarters of this book is filled with activities, uh, and they're sorted by type or topic, we'll say, and then by grade level, and then you have phase one and phase two. Um, That, to me, is the real meat and potatoes of the book. The beginning of it, the first uh, uh, quarter of it, um, gives some back history and and how to go about it and the planning process and everything. Can you give us um, an overview of that activity section and, and what it does to help um, educators uh, accomplish the goal that your vocation ministry has? Sure. So um, I think one of the uh, best chapters as well is um, is chapter four because it's all the activity resources. For example, the calendar of when mm-hmm. we normally promote vocations. This calendar needs to be put into our calendar of our classrooms. Um, and so that for example, Priesthood Sunday is, is the last Sunday of September. National Vocation Awareness Week is the first full week of November. Uh, are are we even mentioning these things? Mm. Like, are we are we talking about them at all in our schools and our classrooms? And and if not, why? I mean, we I feel like if we could implement this in calendar into our uh, into the calendar of the classroom, it would naturally lend itself to talking about vocations on a regular basis. You know how we don't want it to be just once a year where, okay, you know, how this, you know, you don't want a Hallmark holiday like Valentine's Day, and that's the only day you ever say I love you to your spouse, mm-hmm. right? We don't, this is not a good idea. We need to, <laughs> right, you, to, to show that love throughout the year. So the same thing with the kids. We need to be putting it in front of the kids throughout the year. So I love the calendar, and then the age, um, age group, like the activities, by setting an age group. So I've, I've, I've made it simple for everybody and putting uh, school-wide activities that can be done. Um, then I break it down from K to second grade, third through fifth, sixth through eighth, and then high school, college, homeschool. And I list out the activities and the phases. And you mentioned phases. Phases is just meaning that phase one activities are going to be foundational and easy to implement, cheap, you know, to put into place but they need to be done. Mm-hmm. And then as, as the school, as the classes get more used to the idea, they could go on to phase two, phase three um, activities. Um, and so that's why I feel like this is such a fantastic resource because 
teachers can just go, okay, I teach high school. What's a prayer phase one activity? Oh, this. Okay, I need to go here and um, a rosary for vocations. How can I lead my kids in a rosary for vocations? Or um, what? Oh, display the seminarian poster. I should probably do that in my classroom. Let me get a hold of a seminarian poster because every diocese puts out seminarian mm-hmm. posters. You know, I mean, very simple things, but it's just like a checklist. Are we doing these things? Um, and and then, of course, I've got plenty of others that maybe, you know, aren't, aren't the typical uh, things you would think of to do. For example, an art or essay contest for vocation. Like the theme could be saying yes to God. And that could be all the art classes are going to have an art contest. Um, and, and that could be every age group. You know, in a school mm-hmm. that's art class, you know, um, and they produce their art, or it could be an essay contest for the whole school. So there are all kinds of things that we we can do. I just, I'm hopeful that people, first of all, A, this isn't, I haven't thought of everything you could possibly ever do for vocation. I'm going to put that out there. Um, <laughs> and then I hope it just arcs our educators into what they can do and and be as creative as possible to have a, a bring about a culture of vocations in in their school in their classroom. Um, I love t- talking with teachers too. So now we have we have a workshop for teachers and catechists and homeschool teachers, and um, so uh, all that's available as well. Well, so so not only we have the book, we have the website, and we have workshops. So we are trying to really blanket this whole area of um, education. So, Rhonda, where can people find your book, The Harvest, A Guide to Vocation Ministry and Education? So the only place it's sold is at vocationministry.com at our shop. And uh, the fun thing about that is if you go there, you're going to find uh, books for kids there. Like, for example, Beckett Wants to Be a Priest, which is um, written by a six-year-old who knew from sixth age he wanted to be a priest. And he still does because I know him and he's now a little old. And it's written from that age level, like five to eight. It's perfect for that. And the illustrations are beautiful. And so not only can they find my books, the hundredfold for parishes or harvest for education, but they're going to find, you know, plush bear, pray for that little bear that says pray for vocations on it too. You know, so um, I hope that they will go. I hope that many will go and be inspired to do something for vocations. And even if they're not called to do that, they can pray on a daily basis for more men and women to eagerly say yes to God's call. Now, Ron, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and spending with us today. Uh, any closing thoughts? Um, that, that, that prayer is, is fruitful, and we know that it works. Um, what parishes do, if they are intentional, is educational um, uh, institutions, it, whomever is intentional about vocations, vocations will come. Let us be confident in the fact that God will answer our prayers. Fantastic. And with that, you've been listening to Off the Shelf. I'm your host, Pete Sox, a Catholic book blogger. Until next time, God bless.
This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. 